Hello and welcome to another podcast, The Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And today, Father, I wanted to talk about something that's very important, you know, to the Catholic Church. And I think it's a word that we use a lot, that it's kind of ubiquitous, but we don't really get into what it is and how to build it. And that is faith. What is faith? How do we make it stronger? And we kind of talked in our last couple cast here about the benefits of coming closer to Christ. And the word that kept coming up about it was you have to have faith. You have to grow closer to God. And I wanted to use this cast to kind of go down to the nuts and bolts, maybe even start with the basics of what is faith? Why is it important? And why do we need more of it? Well, there's a nice little encyclical that was started by Pope Benedict and finished by Pope Francis on that subject. Let me say that my answer to your question is not going to be as eloquent, deep, or meaningful as that encyclical. Okay. So I'll refer our listeners to the encyclical Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith. And Pope primarily was written by Pope Benedict. He just he re, he resigned as Pope before he actually published it, and Pope Francis put the kind of finishing touches on it. And published it as his first encyclical. But um, so that is to say, there's an encyclical worth of answer, and really probably more than that to your question. But basically, as I mentioned in the last podcast, there's a certain amount that we could figure out with unaided reason. So our human reason, at its best, can figure out some things. I mean, we can figure out some things about ourselves. And there are questions, interesting questions like, how do you learn? You know, how does your mind work? How do you know things? What does it mean to know something? So that's the whole realm of a philosophy called epistemology, the, the philosophy of knowing. Mm -hmm. You know, or you could look at, and we talked about ethics a little bit. What's good? What's evil? How do you, how do you discern that? And... Every uh, culture on earth has basically come up with the Ten Commandments. And uh, the one thing St. Thomas Aquinas says is not accessible to reason is that the Sabbath, as it was declared in the Ten Commandments, would be on Saturday. You know, <laughs> you couldn't figure that out if it wasn't revealed. But uh, so we can figure out things about ethics. You know, uh, Plato and Aristotle looked at different dimensions of how the universe is constructed and why things work the way that they work. And that, uh, to the so we can figure out from philosophy, a lot of things about, uh, cosmology. That's the area of philosophy that looks about, looks at the structure of the universe and the structure of things and then taxonomies that divide, uh, animals and plants and rocks and whatever into different kind of classifications and then we can derive some meaning from that and that leads into the whole layers of science, physics, biology, whatever. So all of these are branches of philosophy. These are all things that we can figure out with our minds and they all have the quality of, uh, of fact that there's a certain truth, there's a certain provability to them that you know, you can be absurd and say, no, 
the sky is really purple or the sky is really uh, green or whatever. And what, you know, whatever, but it's absurd. Really, there are, there are facts that are there and we can observe those and we can derive uh, even, even facts in terms of our own creation or to a certain extent, you know, what right and wrong is and things like that. Uh, so we have a lot of those things that are accessible to our minds. Now, part of the problem is that our minds are darkened by sin. So when we choose to do something that's wrong, especially if we know it's wrong, but we choose to do it anyway, which is really the nature of the original sin. Eve knew that she, what she was doing was wrong, and, and Adam was part of that. And then something happens. They, they can't see clearly anymore. They become afraid because they were naked. They feel that they have to cover themselves and they have to hide from God and they hide from each other. Something has become disordered and they don't see clearly anymore. And so we are, our minds do get darkened by sin. That's personal sin that we commit. And then we inherit a certain structures of sin through our relationships. There's levels of distrust and there are elements of culture. You know, there's the he, sh he said, she said, you know, they think we kind of inherit pseudo truths from this, the kinds of things we pick up on TV. I remember uh, when I was probably like in seventh grade or something, I saw the movie St. Elmo's Fire. And, and one of the subplots is that the cool guy is going to save the unpopular girl and do her the favor of having sex with her because nobody else would. And that idea that like somehow helping someone to lose their virginity is doing them a favor. You know, it's twisted, right? So, so that's part of the structure of sin. That made an influence on me at that tender age. So those kinds of structures of sin start to darken our minds so that even what's accessible to our uh, unaided reason, our philosophizing, gets a little bit distorted. Okay, that's what we're working with at the level of just humanity, and then God steps into all of that and he starts to reveal some things about himself that we never would have come up with, that no philosopher ever came up with. For example, that he is actually three persons in one God held together in such a total bond of love that they are truly one. And that he chooses to come among us and take on a human nature the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Eternal Son, becomes also a son of man, Jesus Christ, and he becomes now true God and true man, united in one divine person. That he chooses to suffer to redeem us and to give us a grace that can help us to have clearer minds and to be transformed into his likeness that he really adopts us into his own family, that he sends a Holy Spirit who can fill us and be the, the principle of our holiness and help us to do good that we never could have done otherwise and to know things we couldn't have known. So all of these truths that we never could have developed on our own. And then how do we receive these truths? Well, they're not forced on us. So unlike the truths of, you know, <laughs> We could even say things like uh, heliocentrism, you know, the, the truth that the sun is at the center of the universe. Ultimately, you can prove that with, with physics. You can prove that, it's, that the sun is at the, the center of our, our galaxy, I guess, or whatever it is. But 
uh, our solar system, you know, you can prove that the sun is at the center. And you could refute that, but it's kind of ridiculous. You know, you have to be a little bit absurd to refute that at this point uh, because we're able to prove it. But you can always refute, you can always claim that God is not really three persons or that Jesus Christ never came among us or that he never gave his grace to save us. And I can make an argument and you can make an argument and I can't force you to believe. I can't, I can't make a mathematical uh, formula that's going to force you to believe. Ultimately, you have to make a decision in your free will whether you're going to accept this truth or not. And we you know, find some resonance in ourselves. We see that that truth about God is not internally contradictory. It doesn't contradict the things of nature. It actually is a more perfect system that fits everything together. Uh, so it's coherent, but it's not obvious, and it requires a step of faith to trust that that revelation is true and to take that into my life and to start arranging my life around that, to let that be the light that clarifies some of those things that are obscured by the darkness of sin and also that opens me up to a, a new set of, uh, of truths that I can live by. But I need to make that act of faith to believe that. And I have full freedom to do that. I don't have full freedom to believe that the earth is at the center of the universe. I, I have to, that, that requires a certain absurdity that I have to cling to at this point because of what we, what we know now in terms of science. But uh, to believe in, in God, three in one, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, um, I need to make a choice. And so faith, one of the effects of faith is that it protects our freedom. Uh, we're not forced to believe. We can be internally coherent and choose not to believe. And, and we have to come to a point that we trust in what God has revealed and the way that he's revealed it, which is through his church ultimately, who has passed down through the apostles and their successors and continues to be sustained by the extension of Christ into time and space in the church. So we need to make an act to actually believe that. And one of the benefits of that, one of the reasons God does that, is that it protects our freedom because ultimately he doesn't just want our slavish obedience. He wants our love. He wants us to love him. And love requires freedom. You can't love if there's no freedom. You can't be forced to love someone. And part of our love is believing. And so when we make that choice to believe what he has revealed and passed down, has communicated to us through the church, we make an act of love for him. We tell him, I trust you. I trust what you have revealed. I trust that you've brought me into this family of the church. And I trust that uh, my path and following this path of revelation will be good for me. And uh, I want to follow you. So that's a kind of long description of, uh, of what faith is. And uh, again, it comes down to there's an act of the will. It has the effect of enlightening our minds. I listed a number of truths that we can come to believe through faith, like God is three in one and Jesus Christ is true God and true man and the redemption that's given to us. We could go on and include the Eucharist in that and the nature of the church and a number of those things. Those are all intellectual 
concepts, those are all truths that enlighten my mind, but I come to receive those truths by using an act of the will in trust. I make a free choice. And that's why faith is different than just knowledge. It's more than just knowledge because it requires that, that act of the will to accept it and to believe in it and to take that step forward based on, on what God has revealed to, about himself. Okay. Sorry about that. So the, the thought being then, if I'm understanding that, is it's almost a switch determined by your decision to be in a state of belief. Um, and I think of it like a light switch. You know, either, you're either on in believing or you're off. And it, to me, always was black and white. But I know that that's how I am. I'm assuming that for for other people, there's a dimmer element to it, where kind of maybe, but not all the way, one way or the other, either on or off. Um, I never understood that part. I always figured that would be harder to live life that way. But that's um, that's how I, w- I was understanding there. So the reason I'm asking that is. Because Jesus says many times in the gospel, oh, you of little faith, oh, you little faith, you need to learn how to do this and get better. And from listening to you right there, it's a decision. And made plenty of wrong decisions along the way, and I can learn how to make a decision better. Um, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get at is I don't think I am still have the ability to understand the other side of saying no, that it's not real. Um, having come to this point in life that, you know, I might not understand all the nuances of, of the Trinity or, or, or any of the other deeper, finer points. Like I can't go write a giant book about it, but there's just a core that, it's real and you can feel the tangible benefits every day. So I guess that's, that's where I'm getting at is, is how do you grow your faith more? And going back to one of your original things, how do you teach, um, to, uh, to, to the little one, to the young kids? Well, uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that it's quite, black and white in the sense that like any kind of trust it grows we don't trust people 100 percent or zero we tend to grow in trust the more we trust and the more they prove trustworthy the more we trust and uh, so that's also going to be our relationship with god and faith as as we trust in his revelation more the effect of it is that we're willing to incorporate it into our lives we're willing to conform our lives more radically to that vision um, are you ready for martyrdom? You know, <laughs> well, you know, one may sort of say, well, sure, yeah, I, you know, I'm ready to be martyred. Like, really? I, are you? <laughs> uh, how much do you really trust him? You know, are you really going to lay down your life for him? Are you going to accept radical poverty for him? Are you going to, you know, anyway, are you going to go down with the ship? Mm-hmm. Um, so trust is, is something that grows, and faith is something that grows. And 
we, it grows more as you use it more. It becomes more of a guiding light in our lives. It becomes more bright as we tune our eyes into um, the, the light of faith. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's part of how. And so, you know, people tend to be in even Augustine, as he said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, you know, he sort of knew his own weakness. And that's, that's where we are even if we recognize at some level how we ought to be or what we should be doing or, you know, um, we may also see our own weakness and see our own incapability of taking that next step yet. I need to trust you a little bit more. I need to die to myself a little bit more. I need to let go of this security that I have a little bit more so that I can walk out in faith a little bit more. And that's a process. So there is a kind of fundamental decision. Am I going to set out in this direction at all? But then we grow as we keep moving in that direction. In terms of forming children in faith, my favorite form of catechesis is based on the Montessori method. And it's called the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And it's really phenomenal. They start with three-year-olds. And... You see these three-year-olds in a room called an atrium, which is filled with a number of different works, which are prepared uh, to be dimensions of, like, scripture, the liturgy, uh, different aspects of, of revelation. And they can work with one of these, like the parable of the Good Shepherd is the first work that, is, that they're introduced to. And there's a little sheepfold, and there are little cutouts of the shepherd and the sheep, and there's a fence, and they learn how, based on the scripture, the shepherd interacts with his sheep. He doesn't beat up the sheep. He doesn't jump over the fence. He moves in and out through the sheep gate, and the sheep hear his voice, and they follow him because he knows them by name. You know, so they learn how to play with this sheepfold according to the logic of the gospel. And they start to internalize that logic at age three, and it stimulates the Holy Spirit, who is just as alive in a three-year-old as he is in you or me, because they're baptized. That's how we get the Holy Spirit, not from classes. We get the Holy Spirit from baptism. And so it stimulates their ability to tune into the Holy Spirit, and they find themselves wondering, and the catechists ask questions like, why do you think these sheep are so special that the shepherd knows their name? And over time, the children will have this revelation and they'll come up to the catechism and say, I know why the sheep are so special, because we are the sheep. We are so special. And Jesus knows us by name. You know, they get that on their own. That's the Holy Spirit at work in them. So you want to teach them some content. You also want to leave them some space for prayer and reflection. And... We tend to be bad at this. <laughs> we want to teach too much content or we want to teach no content at all. But getting that balance right and then giving them a way to interact with it, even at the age of three. And Catechesis of the Good Shepherd goes all the way up to 12. There are three levels, three to six, six to nine, nine to 12. And uh, they stay in those levels and they are introduced to various works that are also developmentally appropriate. Uh, at younger ages, they like to touch things and do things. At the middle ages, they like to work together more 
and so it facilitates that. And at the older ages, they're, I forget, anyway, there's some other <laughs> things that they're figuring out. But uh, it's a beautiful way of introducing children to the faith and giving them, you're giving them the scripture. And they also introduce them to the liturgy at the same time. They have little works for the mass that are child size, and they, they learn about the water and wine. That's one of the ways that the priest prepares the gifts at the altar, is he pours a little bit of water in with the wine, and he says a certain prayer, and they have that prayer there, and the children learn that prayer. The priest actually says that prayer quietly. So a lot of times, six-year-olds know more of what's going on in the Mass than their parents do when they're in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who has humbled himself to share in our humanity. It's the prayer. And then the catechist asks questions like, well, when you poured the water into the wine, where did the water go? Oh, it disappeared. Well, why, why do you think it disappeared? What does this mean? What, is the, what does the wine mean? What does the water mean? Well, the prayer tells us, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who has humbled himself to share in our humanity. The wine symbolizes divinity, and the water symbolizes humanity. And what happens? Our humanity disappears... There's so much divinity that it takes us in completely. And we are transformed into divinity through the Mass. That's what's happening. But the children get to pour things. <laughs> and they understand that through this pouring and their reflecting, they start to get the deeper meaning of it. And now they understand the Mass better. And they're getting that together with... Anyway, I'm going on for a long time. But the point is that we have a lot of content in our faith. We communicate that content and we celebrate it through liturgy. And we also communicate that content through scripture and through reflection. And uh, when, we when we communicate it coherently and age appropriately, then, and we give children to uh, the chance to reflect on it, they take it in because they have the Holy Spirit. And if we give him room to work then, and, and some tools, some, some stuff to work with, then he can do wonderful things. Yeah. The reflection part being important, I think, for all of us. Um, I don't know about you, Father, but I do know that that phone probably makes some type of noise making me do something for it. Um, what? Probably 13 times every 10 minutes. It brings <laughs> off with something else that you got to do. And if you're constantly running around to the next fire that's burning, you never inherently have time to reflect. And that's an observation for everyone that uh, that can't be multitasks. Reflection yeah. and multitask can not go together. So um, that was a thought that had occurred to me there during that. So as we're concluding today's podcast, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with us today, Father, particularly here about faith? Well, I'm glad that you brought up the topic, Joe, and I just would encourage and challenge all of our listeners to maybe uh, open their catechism and read a little bit about the faith. We, we communicate the content of the faith, what has God revealed, and the catechism really contains that with its elaborations and conclusions based on the revelation that God has given us. So, opening the catechism helps us to grow in faith. That's what 
one of the things that Pope Benedict asked us to do during the year of faith is read the catechism. And he also said, one of the great communicators of faith in our day is the Second Vatican Council. Read the documents of the Second Vatican Council. You know, So that's one of the ways to expose ourselves to faith. But then ultimately it comes back to a relationship with God, a relationship of trust. Do I trust him? Do I love him? I love the, the word for I believe in Latin. We often talk about the creed, and that comes from the word credo. Credo in Latin means I believe. Credo comes from two Latin words, cor, which means heart, and dare, to give. Ultimately, when we profess our creed, when I say I believe, I'm saying that I give my heart. No, that's what, we, that's what we're really doing in faith. We're giving our heart to God. And the word believe is from the German related. It, it comes from the word belieben in German, which means to fall in love. When I say I believe, I'm saying to God, I love you. I trust you with my heart. And so that's what we want to grow in being able to truly believe, to give our hearts to God. And so I just invite our listeners to reflect on how deep is my faith. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, I guess maybe in the last podcast, was if I really love the Lord and I really trust him and I really believe, then I also believe it's good for everyone and I share it with others. We're really going to grow in faith by sharing the faith. And that's where the year of faith was not only a matter of deepening our own belief, it was always a matter of sharing it as well. And so it's good for us to ask ourselves, am I sharing the faith? How deeply do I believe? What are some opportunities I have to take it in a little bit more and to give it out and share it with others a little bit more? And that's a great final thought. So on that note, very easy way for everyone out there to do it. Just please retweet us when we go out on Father and Joe at Twitter. And please continue to give us the reviews that you have. And we'll see everyone here next week. Thank you.